Grabbing the Mic podcast is a podcast for a purpose. If you would like to donate and spare at least a dollar to worthy causes and organizations selected by our guests, you can do so on Venmo at DGFG underscore one. At the end of each month, we'll divide the total evenly to donate to those in need at the organizations designated by the guests that month. You can learn more about these organizations on the links provided on the DGFGLLC.com website. We will update you at the conclusion of each month on the total received and the amount distributed to those in need. On behalf of DGFG and Grabbing the Mic, we truly appreciate you and your generosity. It's time to talk about hair. Theorem, driven by beauty, backed by science. What if beautiful hair could be as easy as one, two, three? Theorem's three-part hair care system is scientifically proven to repair and improve your hair from root to tip. No matter what type of hair you have, it all adds up. Go to hairlovebykendra.com. That's hairlovebykendra, K-E-N-D-R-A.com. Hi, welcome back to Grabbing the Mic with Nikki Judge and Friends. Here's part two of our conversation with equity and justice strategist Portia Birch. If you didn't listen to the first half of our episode with Portia from last week, you should listen to it right now. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. We have to unlearn everything that we were taught. And that takes work. That takes nasty work. It takes uncomfortable work. It takes stressful work. It takes painful work. But when you get to that moment where it's like, oh, my God, I I get it. I get it. I don't get it all the way, but I get it right now. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I've seen it happen. So it's one of those things that I'm not just talking on my ass. I know it can actually happen. And it's fantastic. And I think that it's just a matter of getting people past that feeling of being uncomfortable and understanding that that's just, it's a temporary feeling. You're not going to feel uncomfortable forever. You're going to feel better and you're going to feel really good about what you've learned and what you're now able to teach other people. Right. It's like ripping off the Band-Aid. Like you've got to mm-hmm. get to those uncomfortable places so that you can learn and move forward and hopefully get to less uncomfortable places where you feel more. I feel like the the theme of this podcast really is kind of hearing about your your thoughts and feelings as a, you know, strong independent, you know, gay black woman um, who's sort of educating us and and how how we can how we can do our, our somewhat measly good, you know, in the effort and to help, you know, to help and to learn. And that's, you know, the learning part, like when we, we originally talked, you know, a few days ago and um, there were some things that you said that were uncomfortable, you know, and you mm-hmm. can feel it like in your gut, like, Oh, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, after we got off the phone, I told Dickie, I said, you know, that that was so enlightening. Like there were so many things that she, I was taking notes like crazy and I was really like, holy shit. I don't, first of all, I've never used the word monolith in any sentence ever in my life. Portia, you said so many words that I literally, I like, I, Carrie had to write them down and I spent pretty much most of my day at work Googling what they meant because it was like you were speaking a different language, BT dubs. I love the fact. a different language. It is. And I love the fact that you took the time to Google it because that's, huge. Um, and I want to say something actually to both of you, because uh, one of the things that I can do, and I was talking about this before the insurgents, uh, and how I had that feeling. And I'm careful with this word because the word empath has been just twisted around and used a lot by narcissists, but I feel, I feel everything. I feel everything in a very big way. 
And so when we were talking and I dropped that whole white supremacy culture, I felt the shift in both of you, not a bad shift, but a shift like, oh, oh, okay. So that's what we're going to talk about. And I liked the fact that I felt that because then I knew that this wasn't going to be a fluff piece. Oh, for sure. And I knew that it was, I knew that it was coming from a place of really trying to make an impact, not only with yourselves and what we've talked about and what I would love to continue talking about, you know, even beyond this, but what you are now wanting to share with the people that listen. And that is huge. That right there is a small thing that was, I put you in an uncomfortable position because then I started talking about a bunch of stuff, right? And none of that is, it's not easy to hear. You know, but it's it's where we're at. It's necessary. And yeah. It's necessary. It's a necessary, necessary, necessary evil because we've created this evil. This evil's been created for us. And the only way to undo it is to get in there and get dirty with it. And I love the fact that I have been granted this this amount of space to do this. Um, because I think one of the reasons why the word monolith came up is because black people are absolutely not that. And by monolith meaning we don't feel and think the same way about educating our counterparts. We don't feel and think the same way about sharing our lived experiences. It is perfectly okay for a black person to say, I don't want to tell you about what I've been through. I don't want to tell you about how hard it's been for me. And I don't want you to go speak for me. That is completely fine. And just because I'm willing to do this does not mean that some random other black person is going to be like, yes, I would love to answer these questions. That shouldn't be expected. And I feel like that's been another misconception is because somebody who's in racism 101 and is, excuse me, and is doing that work and they have, you know, their friend that they're talking to, their black friend, their brown friend, whatever, and they're talking, they're getting some race and they're like, this is so fantastic. And then they're out in the world and they're doing something else and they run across another person of color and they just start talking like, like they would to their friend without knowing at all where that person is, what space they have to hold, what space they have to give, if they even want to. And then what can then happen is when they don't get the response they're used to, then their feelings get hurt. And they're like, well, clearly I shouldn't be doing this. And then that privilege creeps in. And then we start the whole cycle all over again. Right. Hey, I wanted to, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up too, is that, you know, when uh, you said our, like our, our, I'm sure you could like almost feel us shift in our seats a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, where I was at personally, I don't speak for Nikki, but I was really like thinking like, am I racist? You know, and, and, and really like, like, hmm, okay, I did this and I did that and I haven't done that. And I'm, you know, and you sort of start to take inventory of your life and your life's decisions and interactions you've had in the past and stuff. And, um, you know, I'm sure hundred percent that I have race, you know, racism in my DNA. Um, mm-hmm. and that's hard to admit or to even, I'm looking at her. She's white. She has racism in her DNA. <laughs> yes, a, we sure. joke, but that's the culture that white people have is racism. Yeah. It's I mean, it's, that's what's been it given to you. Suck. Right. Well, and I have another, I have a, a flip side. So we have a joke, right? So Nikki and I got married and we had one, you know, some of my family came, some of her family came, which we in itself was a feat. Um, but uh, my dad's a retired sheriff and her dad 
is a retired criminal, right? So um, that in itself was strange. But so I have a different um, situation in that I have law enforcement in my family. You know, my mom retired CHP. My dad retired sheriff. You know, just a lot of a lot of it. Um, right. I didn't. I I know that like. I don't even venture to like say how long ago I would say over probably six or seven years. Um, there was, you know, some black lives matter thing that came out. Um, and I said, all lives matter like an idiot because I didn't fully get it. And it wasn't until honestly, probably, you know, the last couple of years, did I really fully like understand that they has to, it has to be, it can't be that. And it can't be, Oh, all lives matter or yeah, blue lives and black. You know, you can't add an asterisk and then put only, you know, in these certain situations, you know? And so that's something that I have personally had to deal with and how I not only like feel in my heart, but also portray out to the, to the world, you know, and, um, I see, I, now I see the air of my ways, but I'm, you know, I'm almost ashamed at like my, my thinking, I thought it was an innocent thought, you know, I thought it was like, Oh, peace and love, everybody love everybody. But it wasn't, yeah. it was like a complete anti black lives matter. Right. And I didn't get yeah. it. Didn't get it. I will. And you, and again, that comes down to, um, what you were taught and, right there's two things. I'm going to interject one thing. Shame is a wasted emotion. Um, so I'm going to invite you to let go of that. It is a wasted emotion. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do you any good. Um, shame keeps you in, in the mistakes that you made and it doesn't propel you to the changes that you have the opportunity to have. So wipe that out of your vocabulary. If you can, that's my invitation to you. Secondly, the other thing that I said when we were talking is that we were taught all this information when we're kids, we are fed all this information when we're being raised. You know, up until we are released, whether it's, you know, we leave um, on our own recognizance, like we're 18 or however old we decide to go off to school, or if it's a different family situation, at some point we've had parents or guardians, some adults of some sort around us that have been telling us things, or we've been hearing it because it's been said loud enough. And that's what we hear. And because as children, we don't have the capacity to go out and find these books or find these lived experiences to figure out what's wrong. We believe what we hear, Right. And that isn't our fault. We can't help what we were taught. And this is so vitally important. We cannot control the lessons that we've been given. But as adults, we get the chance to say, everything I was taught was wrong. And now I want to change it. And I'm going to start with changing it with what I believe, how I behave, how I act, and what I teach and show the other people around me. Because you can be taught one thing and only act according to that way when you're 10 years old. You're 10 years old, your parents or guardians are acting a certain way, and you follow that because they're your parents and your guardians. What else do you know? But if that 30 years old, if that 20 years old, you're still making those same choices because now you're an adult or you at least have this capability. And I'm, just, I'm speaking from just from a standard point of view. But if you have the capability to start making your own thoughts, into formulating your own thoughts. And then you see what's happening around you and you're aware of what's happening around you, but you decide to still sit in what you were taught when you were 10. Well, now it's a choice. Right. So now you're actively racist. 
You can have racism just inherently in you because of the, what you were born into, but you don't have to stay actively racist. That's a decision that you're going to make, and that's that's where we're at right now. Do you want do you want to stick with what you know, or do you want to do something better? Right. It's like you said too. Like we were, we, you know. I think back at even in school. You know, we're taught by our white parents, and then we're taught by our white teachers, and 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 everything that we're taught is so to you know they they make it seem like the white man is always the hero. Like I think about when I found out, like, so George Washington, okay, they always say he had wooden teeth. Well, then last year I was reading something that said, no, his teeth weren't wooden. The teeth he had in his mouth were the teeth of slaves. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit. So then I started like Googling all this, you know, Googling other things. And then there was this story about the African Dodger. And it was in certain states, like the most popular game Played. You know, we learned about other, you know, baseball, we learned about all these other games, but in all these states and when they had these carnivals, the one that generated the most money was the one where they took black people, put them behind a board and just had their heads and white kids would throw baseballs mm-hmm. at them. And yep. the one that the one that got the most amount that raised the most amount of money was the one where they would feed a little black boy a bottle. And if they could throw the baseball and make the little black boy puke, that's what gave you the most amount of coins. But we didn't learn that story. You know, they're not going to tell us that story. They're going to tell us about baseball and basketball and just knocking pens down at carnival games. So it's, it's astonishing. Like you said, that we're, we're taught that the white man is always the hero, but you have freaking George Washington, who's got black slave teeth in his mouth, but we're taught they're wooden. It's just, it's bullshit. What's been taught in schools versus what has actually happened in the world is so drastically different. It's it's dangerous, really, right? Because we have people that are just touting George Washington as this great guy, touting Abraham Lincoln as this great guy. Um, Just a lot of people that have been in power that have, in some ways, spoken up for people of color but then in a lot of ways still done some really fucked off shit. And we just, we're just not taught that because again, it's uncomfortable, you know? And I think that we have this chance to stop the service that we've been giving our kids and education purposes, you know, um, kids that grew up around our age or even 10 years younger than us, just learn the whitewashed version of what happened in, during slave times, how slaves even got here. Um, you know, I talked about the fact that I just realized at almost 42 years old that my African family, like my ancestors would actually welcome me home. I have a friend that was just in, um, she was in Nigeria and I can't wait to discuss it with her because she got to go home to the motherland. And this is something I found on TikTok too, but this is what we've been taught. Black people have been taught that Africans don't want us back. We've been taught that we decided to leave Africa of our own free will, not that we were stolen. Right, right. Yeah, I watched your your TikTok uh, duet with oh, yeah. um, that uh, I creator Yobi African. Yeah, and um, just kind of setting it right. And actually, what struck me more about what she was saying was your reaction to it because I could yeah. just feel. Uh, I don't want to get choked up, but I could just feel how impactful that was to hear those words. And it was uh, very uh, emotional, even though I don't yeah. have that frame of reference. Um, it's, it's, it was so interesting. 
And it and it really is so extremely heartbreaking to think and I had no idea, of course, I'm white. Yeah. Uh that 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 was something that had been um, taught to black people is that not yeah. not only were they treated like abhorishly abs- here, but um, also just weren't wanted in their motherland or where they were stolen from. So it's like you brought up, you know, you have this this group of people for centuries who have been taught that they are worthless. It's a, it's no a, it, that's exactly it. We don't it, for the longest time we just didn't figure out where we didn't know where we belonged, and so. Right. Um, you know, now we're getting this chance. I think that TikTok has been beautiful because a lot of people have joined in with Yobi's story and telling it. And you're right. When I when I watched that video, I it gutted me. And even now, I can feel myself tearing up. But it gutted me because to feel that sense of love from my ancestors was huge. And then she's done other subsequent videos too about you know like the 23andMe and and how goofy that is because now. Now, I don't know my ancestors, like my ancestors from Africa. I don't know who they are unless I pay somebody to run my DNA and find out for me. How goofy is that, that I have to pay somebody to find out my heritage? Yeah, and yes, white people do it too. And don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of benefits from doing it. You can find out a lot about your history, especially from people that come from non-traditional families, whether they've been adopted or part of a uh, foster care syndrome, or they lost parents really long and young, and they just don't have other family. There's a lot of benefits to it, and I don't think that anybody should have to pay for it. But specifically, people of color to have to pay to find out where they came from because we were brought here. Names changed, no birthdays, um, nothing. Everything that we have now, names, birthdays, they were quote unquote given to us by the people that stole us from our home. How yeah. fucking twisted is that? It's fucked up. I um glad you brought up 23andMe because, um, you know, I can speak only for myself in that, you know, it's always being an American in general. It's always um, interesting to find out where your people came from because we're all immigrants here. And, um, you know, it's um, I whenever I envision my ancestors, I always envision these really great people. Right. Because I have I have the frame of reference of like my grandparents were kind and loving and my dad is great my mom is great um and so then as I'm doing my research and looking at ancestry and I did my DNA and I did all these different things I start going through the the all the little documents that come up and then sure as shit there it was in black and white handwritten account of slaves on Mm -hmm. one of my family's documents and I was so shocked and I, and I, and, and now in hindsight, I shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been because you almost have to be ready for anything. The, to, to believe that your family couldn't have possibly is, is really, um, not a joke, but it's childish almost. It's a fantasy, um, to not, to expect that there wouldn't be something like that in your family's past. And it just was so gross. I almost wanted to be like, well, I'm canceling that subscription. I don't want to hear any more about that. But you have to look at it. You have to acknowledge that and read their names and read, well, if you can find names. And that was even the sadder part, you know, is just yeah. ages. And it, and it was I think, horrible. Yeah. I love the approach that I, I, I don't like seeing anybody uncomfortable, obviously, but sometimes it's, it's necessary. Um, 
and so seeing that probably was just I can't I can't imagine what that felt like on the other end. But what also cracks me up, um, and obviously I use it sarcastically, is on the flip side that we have people that are doing this that are just so hard pressed to be able to say that they are too oppressed um, because they have found some 0.25 percentage of maybe I don't know black in them somewhere and it's twisted around and used the wrong way and and I think that that's another dangerous thing with this is that um, on the flip side of people that are wanting to fight racism on the flip side of people that are wanting to actually dismantle white supremacy on the flip side of people that are wanting to create anti-racist and be anti-racist are the people that fight it so hard that they find some way to claim that they too are oppressed I too have been oppressed have you and that's have you also really, yeah, like really have, have you have you just been so just have you and it's 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 striking but that's also the argument i think that's something else too that we have to be aware of is it just that people when they say that they want to do this work they're not just finding some way to co-op an oppression you don't have sure. to co-op the lived experiences of the people that you were fighting for you just have to know what they are and do what you can to make sure they stop and that's 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 probably the biggest or the easiest way, my one-liner, my elevator speech about what this work is: don't cop, don't don't co-op the experience, don't co-op the oppression, don't try to take right. it over, get right. rid of it. Right. It's the same. It, I don't need you to trauma bond with me. I don't need you to just say like, oh my god, yes, I get it, me too. If it's not actually there, I need you to say, holy shit, why is that happening to you? Let's make it stop. Two very different things, you know. And right. that's also finally that has to happen. Sure. Sure. I think having these conversations, uncomfortable as they are at times, um, is so, so important because honestly, I didn't know 80% of the things that, you know, you've kind of enlightened me on. Well, I'm going to quote Portia here. You don't know what you don't know. That's right. right. You don't know what you don't know. You don't. You honestly don't. And that's why we can't, that's why you can't be afraid to say the wrong things because how do you know what's wrong if you don't say it? You know, and, um, and and that's where that's what it comes down to. I think it's the biggest takeaway that I can say. You don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. Then when you know it, then you have the chance to do better. Right. Once you find out what you were doing wrong, or once you find out what you what you thought you knew was wrong, once you find out what you taught was wrong, then that is your chance to do something better. That is your chance to say this stops with me. And if every person that talked to any person that was from a marginalized community of any sort, people of color, queer people, trans people, any marginalized community, if you take, if every person that talks to somebody in that community and says, this is stopping with me, do you understand the impact that could happen? Like the ripple effect would be huge if just everybody decided it stopped with them. Right, oh, for sure. Is there, and that actually brings me to probably our last question, um, but I do feel like I would love to have another discussion with you about more about like um, abolishing prison and the, yeah. that whole uh, shit storm that is, mm-hmm. you know, there and the things that you're trying to tackle. Um, but I, I would like to ask, and I'm sure a lot of white people listening um, or just anybody that's not black, um, what, and I realize you're not the spokesperson for all black people and you, I, you know, I'm not the spokesperson for all white people, but I, I would like to ask from one white woman to one black woman, what do you think anyone who's listening to this could take from this as far as what they can personally 
do? Like, what is something that they can go, I'm going to write a list or I'm going to write a note to myself that um, I'm going to start doing this or I'm going to stop doing that or I'm going to call, you know, this group or I'm going to, you know, whatever. What What is an mm-hmm. actual real action item that someone can take yeah. away from this? Uh, I love that. I love actual items are my favorite. Um, <laughs> I'm going to list off some books that are good to read to start off with. Uh, there's two books by Ibram Kendi, How to Be an Anti-Racist and Be an Anti-Racist. You want to read the How to Be an Anti-Racist first so you can learn about it. That's your Racism 101 book because it's going to talk about the things that are actually racist that people forget that are actually racist. And then Be an Anti-Racist is kind of like your toolkit. How do you continue doing this work? You know, as these things, so as you go from one-on-one, from recognizing, you know, the small covert things, how do you look for overt? Um, so those are two books. And then on the flip side, there's a book, White Fragility, that I would almost run a line, run reading that along the same lines as how to be an anti-racist, because White Fragility is <laughs> a big thing, and it stops a lot of people from doing a lot of work. White Fragility is as simple as bristling when I say, yep, you're racist, and then sure. just not listen yeah. anymore. So reading that book, and then also Nice Racism, that's a, that's a, um, a book that's coming out soon. I don't think it's been released yet. There might be on audiobooks, but it's by the same author um, by Robin D'Angelo. And the nice racism is the same thing of it's that underlying, you know, where you've done a lot of work and you're out there. You're, you might even have like a Black Lives Matter poster on your wall. You've got the sticker on your car, um, but then you're still baked in those old, those, those old biases and you're not doing anything to, to fix those. So those are some books to definitely read to get some education. Um, I also suggest using Google. Google is free. Uh, it's it's a free resource and it answers so many questions. Um, and I and I say that because it's a lot of homework that you can do on your own. You can almost look at this as like doing a research paper. You got to sure. do some work on your own. You can't count on the people. Again, you can't count on the people that have been impressed to tell you how to fix it. That's right. You know, you got at some point you got to figure out what's right and what's wrong. So definitely right. Google what you can, and then. If you are going to speak to a person of color, meaning if you're not going to some sort of uh, workshop that you know that they're being paid for, if you're not going to some recording that you know they're being paid for, the first thing that you want to do is, A, ask them if they have space. Do you have the space to handle this? Do you have the emotional bandwidth? Do you have the spoons is a term that's used a lot. Do you have room for me to ask you these questions? Hmm. That's your first thing. You have to put that... Make sure that the person that you're talking to is in the space to have this conversation because it can take a lot out of them, out of us, okay. out of whoever's okay. having it. And when that conversation is had, then figure out some way to pay them for their emotional labor. It does not have to be money. It does not have to be cold, hard cash. But to have these conversations takes a lot out of people that are doing it. It's different for different people. Like I mentioned, I have more space. I can do this because... Because I can, right? There's no big reason why I can do it. I just can and I decide to do it. But for some people, you might find your friend that's been waiting for you to have this conversation with them and they have it and you might watch them or pay attention to them and see them just be depleted when it's done because they have just released all of these feelings that they've had that they didn't know they could share with you and they can, but it brought up all of this trauma, all of this past stuff. There needs to be aftercare. And we can't put that on the 
the responsibility of the oppressed either. So how can you take care of the people that you have just asked them to strip themselves bare for? So oh, take okay. care of the people that are teaching you. Yeah. Um, and then also do the work, do what you can on your own too. Do your homework. Right. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of homework, I'll tell you. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I know you, I know you from TikTok and you have amazing content. So anybody listening, I know that you can find Portia on TikTok, but do you have, um, do you, do you have anything else? Like, do you have your own podcast? Do you have anything, anything you want to plug here for people to listen to you, to get into contact with you? Is TikTok yeah. So way? yeah, my TikTok, well, my, my username across most platforms is the same. It's Portia.Noir, which is a play on Pinot Noir because I love red wine. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's my TikTok, my Instagram, and my Twitter. Uh, my Facebook is, I think I sent the link. So if you guys want to put it on there, it's my first and yeah. portion Janae. Um, as far right. as podcasting, uh-huh. I'm doing things like this and jumping on, you know, wherever I get an invite. So it's really, whoever lets me talk, I will do it. Um, and I am in the works of either hosting my own or becoming a co-host with two lovely ladies who I have appeared on their podcast, the Midwest Misfits that is available on, I think, the same platforms that this one's on. And I did a screenshot of the episodes that I'm on that's on my TikTok. So if you're looking for the episodes, you can find them there. Yeah, and we'll actually include links to your bio and to um, all the, you know, your social media and also to the books that you mentioned. Um, And I really cannot wait until we can um, talk again and and really kind of dive into more of the the other ventures that you're in and and your life's work and all the things you've got your hands in because it sounds like you have really kind of got a lot of fires going. I got a little bit of everything. Um, Also, if anybody does want to reach out to me, my Instagram is open. So you can send me messages there. I get to them as quickly as I can. And even though I did just sit here and say I do have a lot of space, I do, but I'm also human. So if I take a while to get back to you, it doesn't mean that I didn't see it. It's waiting until I have the time to do it. All right, Portia. Thank you so much for sharing your your knowledge and for giving us a piece of you on this. Absolutely. Um, This was fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But again, just just thank you so much for your time and for talking to – I mean, we're two white women, so (laughs) for (laughs) – and just shooting it how it is and not holding back and, you know, giving it to us the way we need to hear it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I know that even though you have these conversations often, um, I'm sure it does deplete some of you uh, how, going through all of this uh, with us. So I appreciate the energy and the heart that you've put into this and just being so real with us and, and allowing us to ask you the uncomfortable questions. And um, we just appreciate, you know, you being so candid with us. So it was my pleasure. I just want to be the anti-racist fairy godmother. Hey guys, it's Nikki. Thanks so much for listening to our second episode with Portia Birch. Carrie and I found it very eye-opening, and we hope you did too. If you're looking to purchase any of the books Portia mentioned, we've linked the physical and audio book in the description. Next week, we're sitting down with U.S. Air Force retired, law enforcement retired, black and Chicano civil rights activist, woman's veteran activist, and L.A. Black Panther from 1968 to 1969, the dynamic Loretta King. It's going to be fun and insightful, so stay tuned, and we'll see you next week when we grab the mic. 
ever thought to yourself, wow, I should really do something for myself? It's time to make yourself and your well-being a priority. So to celebrate the launch of Do Good, Feel Great DGFG, we're offering a special pricing through May 31st, 2021. Our life coaching sessions are completely virtual, where you'll work together with your life coach to focus on areas you feel you want to change. This could include areas like education, career, relationships, and more. For a single session, you'll receive $15 off, and for a group package of four sessions, you'll receive $20 off an already reduced price. Email us today at dgfginfo at gmail.com. Again, that's dgfginfo at gmail.com to schedule a free 30-minute consultation and take that first step in setting your path forward. You deserve it.